Welcome to the podcast edition of Maximum Growth Live, the number one program for lawyers who want to grow their practices. Each week, our hosts, Seth Price and Jay Ruane, tackle the fundamental questions about how to grow the profit and profitability of your law firm. To watch the program live, submit your questions and hear the latest episode. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Facebook for our live show. Maximum Growth Live is a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of Maximum Growth Live. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Ruane, CEO of FirmFlex, your social media marketing agency for lawyers, as well as Ruane Attorneys, your criminal defense and civil rights firm in Connecticut. With me, as always, my good buddy in the Hawaiian shirt, Seth Price. Seth is founder of Price Benowitz, your D.C., Maryland, Virginia, South Carolina law firm, all up taking over that mid-Atlantic area, as well as the uh, creator and brains behind, well, the, the, the original founder brains, not necessarily the current brains, behind uh, SEO Mastermind Group, uh, Blue Shark Digital. Seth, how's your week going this week? It's going great. I'm real excited for today's uh, guest. You know, uh, I, I got got to meet Hector on a on a mastermind several months ago, and in that time, both you and I in our journey have integrated a number of people from Latin America into our teams. And Hector was way ahead of the curve, um, you know, and he has done a, a pretty amazing job scaling international talent for all sorts of things, um, and, and something that I personally have sort of been, you know realizing it's something that I need to be doing at some level and have had some success, but I, I'm really excited to speak with somebody who's been through this and hopefully get, you know, get some nuggets of, you know, what are the, the things that, you know, make it successful long-term? Because it's one thing to have this work for a couple months, but if you want this part of your long-term play, it's a very different question. Well, absolutely. And it's definitely one of my long term plays. You know, we've I've talked about it. We've onboarded. We had some hiccups uh, and it's definitely something that's been an issue. You know, it's really sort of it's interesting to me uh, and I don't want to take too long on this, but, um, you know, I read the Friedman book, you know, the world is flat. Uh, and, and we talked about how using the internet and technology, more people, you could touch more people around the world and get the right person for your problem. And I think really COVID sort of accelerated that. I mean, we're talking about legacy law firms that had standard phone lines. Now they have VoIP systems. Now they can start to take advantage of those things. You and I were in those systems early on. And so we're sort of a step ahead of other people in able to really attack the, uh, the offshore talent, but there are some incredibly talented people out there that just happen to live elsewhere. Uh, and, you know, I can go back to when I was, uh, when I was a college student backpacking my way through Europe, and I can remember getting off the plane in France and being like, wow, there's a whole country here that survives not speaking a lick of English. Um, and then, you know, and it kind of blew my mind, but, you know, uh, but now I'm just thinking, you know, if I could tap into these things that, uh, that are available to me overseas, I can really accelerate my firm so while we do this thing let's take a quick break we'll hear from our sponsors and then when we come back we're going to talk with Hector Quiroda uh, who is an immigration lawyer but he's really scaled tremendously using overseas talent so why don't we do that Seth and we'll be right back with more Maximum Growth Live. The lawyers who will succeed in the next decade are the ones who are focusing on building their brands where people meet and there is no place better to build your brand than on social media. 
With the FirmFlex DIY social media plan, hundreds of lawyers like you are using social media to build their brand and become the one lawyer in their community that people know, like, and trust. By spending even just five minutes a day on social media marketing, you can engage with hundreds or thousands of people in your local community who will need your services. By cultivating a network of followers, you build a book of business that you can market to the next decade and beyond. If you are looking for a solution to help you jumpstart your social media marketing, look no further than the DIY plan at GetFirmFlex.com. The DIY was created by a small firm lawyer for people just like you, helping you connect with local people online and build your brand and engage people in the topics they want to talk about, all for under $100 a month. To find out more, visit GetFirmFlex.com. In this world today, if you want to grow your business, you want to grow your firm, you want to take on more cases and make a bigger impact, you have to have a digital blueprint. Statistically, throughout the time that we've been working with Blue Shark Digital, our law firm, the Atlanta Divorce Law Group, grew over 1,400%. Seth and his team have years of experience in this area. Blue Shark is truly a part of the firm, so I don't consider Blue Shark any different than the employees in my office. Thrilled to be here with Hector Carroga, the managing partner of a law firm uh, in Washington State Immigration, tri-state area there, tri-county tri area, uh, as well as Las Vegas, uh, uh, tri-cities. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thrilled to have you. I am excited to have you here today because uh, we were in a mastermind together. And I was, you know, for the, the scaling of immigration, you know, we talk a lot on the show about um, different offshore opportunities of leveraging. And for somebody, uh, I have not met somebody uh, who has done as, as great a job as you of mirroring or marrying domestic international labor to put the firm together. So talk to us a little about the history, how you've done this and how you, you, you've sort of developed this uh, international practice. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you both of you to, for, for having me. Uh, excited to to talk and share. Yeah. Um, so it kind of it started. Uh, you know, I'm Colombian by birth, so I was born in Colombia and came in 2000. Uh, I didn't speak English at the time, but what is relevant on this is that I left a lot of family and a lot of people connections when I came. I came when I was 17. I was just had finished high school, and so what 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 it started with was, uh, you know. I start to recognize that there was a lot of work that didn't have to be done uh, in the States. And it started with a logo, right? And so I was like, so can somebody do a logo? And then I, I went down here and and it, it was anywhere. I had quotes anywhere from like, you know, a hundred bucks to, you know, I had a company who, who, who actually gave me a quote for $10,000 back then to do this logo, right? And I was like, Wow, like I just, I just, I was just thinking about this. And so what I, what I started thinking at the time was like, gosh, I should get into marketing because marketing, I can, I can, I can get somebody's logo and I have to know nothing about Photoshop or uh, Adobe Illustrator. I don't have to even know anything about that. And so my first business was a marketing business, which was a, a website design company because what I was doing basically was a reseller, right? I would just kind of come in and go do that. And that's kind of when I started to learn that you can shift labor and uh, and really capitalizing something that we have and we take for granted and that's kind of it's called the u.s dollar you buy milk on dollars you don't think about what you're really doing but for a foreigner you are right you paid how much for a 
but you know, I, I, I to me, it's still weird to go and, and learn that a, a haircut could be $15 or more, because I know in Colombia, you can get it for like a dollar, right? Like you can see the dif disparity on pricing. And so that's kind of how, how this started. And, and after, um, you know, when I went to law school, uh, I had a virtual assistant who helped me with my briefing for my cases, right? I was like, you know, I was kind of like, I had enough connections in law school to say, hey, I, love it. I just, I just, um, <laughs> so I launched, uh, I got through law school, um, it, it's kind of a long story. I graduated from uh, Gonzaga uh, with an economics degree, and I, I didn't go to law school right after, right? It took me two, three years to go in. And so, in those two, three years, I was hired by an insurance company, and then I was a, I was a personal injury um, um, adjuster, right? So I kind of started with the total loss and worked my way to personal injury towards the end, and I learned a lot. And so um, I learned a lot from what they were doing. One of the things that the company was doing, I'm not talking about, this is circa uh, 2004 to 2000, actually 2003 to 2006. Um, A they were really good at distributing the labor. So the adjusters would come in and then we would handle about 10 vehicle wrecks uh, a day. I would take the recorded statement from people, right? Calling, hey, you gotta take your recorded statement, do that. I needed to make a liability decision and I needed to know, hey, is there any uh, personal injury exposure or not? And then report it to the company. It was crazy how incredibly productive we were. I mean, I 10 vehicle wrecks with there's two recorded statements usually in, a, in an ad for the two drivers, right? Sometimes you got witnesses and you got to get, so there was a lot of things that we were doing. And I'm like, what did these guys do, right? And I recognize the importance of systems, offshoring, digital signatures. This was huge, digital signatures. And these people were doing digital signatures in 2004, and they had been doing this for a while. So some of these ideas that I'm like, exposing to you and that COVID come to me, this is not original thought. It was just an observation and, and for lack of a better word, copying, uh, just, just just like, hey, they did it that way. Maybe, maybe figure out a way to do that. So um, through law school, then I'm like, okay, I had, I had them going and I said, gosh, I really do know a lot about uh, insurance and personal, you know, personal injury and that type of stuff. So he said, I like to do a website and I, I target website not to um, not to not to not to high degree injuries. I recognize that there was a huge market for the middle injury, right? So that person who has a a, a bumper or they had a, a somewhat of a collision, they might need a couple of chiropractor care, and that's that's it. They get better. But there was a huge market there because the, the big shot lawyers are going for you know big cases. They're usually not interested in that. And what I started recognizing was that people would, would, you know, I don't feel so good. I might have to take the day out. And then the adjuster would call and be like, hey, you know, we're going to pay you like 10% of your damage. or We're going to pay you 50% of your damage. And then people were like upset. And this is when they really like start thrilling, right? There was a, there was a, it's almost like there was some retaliation from the consumer back to the company saying, wait a minute, you're supposed to take care of me. And now you're going to like shortchange me on the cost of the taillight. Right. What it is, is that creates a spiral, spiral situation into the injury world. 
And there was a lot of cases we were settling for, you know, three, five, fifteen thousand dollars. It's not enough, I don't think, for, for a lot of lawyers to get into. But there was enough where, where a, a little, you know, uh, injury demand would come in. And, you know, there was a nice uh, profit to be made. Um, and also there were some cases that you get, got into it that they looked like they were really low in the beginning, like the reserves were low. But later you start discovering, wow, we got nerve damage. We got we got a big thing, right? So I recognize this this middle band of 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 consumers. That is the there's the people who want the big stuff, and then there is the people who go in and they call a personal injury lawyer and say, Hey, I was just rear-ended, but my tail light is broken and that's the extent of it. And the attorneys wouldn't care for it. They would just simply go, like there's no I don't I don't just do personal uh, I don't do property damage. It was it was the answer. Right? I, I, there's got to be an injury, and I just don't want to talk to you. What happens? There were huge. There was a huge miss in there. And so what I did is I took all of my tour notes, uh, which I was recording, and I turned around and I said to my VA, "I need you to put all of this into article form. I need you to help me this." And I started building this website. The website became pretty successful. Uh, and um, I was able to capture a lot of leads, and then I turned those leads, and I was selling them back to personal injury lawyers. So, you know, I, ma I made hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, through law school doing this, right? Uh, I was like, you know, this is, you know, I would, I would get a lead. Um, I was selling it about $100, uh, uh, a lead, and, you know, it was, it was a nice living, but the SEO world was, was getting competitive then, I was hit with uh, like what is it the panda update and some of those updates and and truthfully some of the keyword stuff was kind of like stuffy. I, I got a little gimmicky. I, I I get that, but but it was but what I learned was a you can offshore a lot of work. B you can you can resell a lot of it. You can create a lot of value for somebody else. Uh, mining the the knowledge that I had both from from law school and then also my experience from a prior employer, right? And then more importantly, I think that. Just, just learning that, you know, it doesn't, you know, you can, you can, you can, you can scale something a lot just by putting your, your, all of the pieces together, right? And then finding that band. And so, this is how I come into immigration, right? I recognize that there is a lot of work for big shot business immigration who want to go and say, hey, we want to do all your. Um, visas and they have maybe hundreds of employees and this would be a huge thing but i recognize that the market wasn't being served on lower you know uh cases like like you know migrant workers and and, and just people who are perceived not to have big big money to to hire a big lawyer then i recognize that the value was on on, on volume for me like if i if i get really good at this very thing right if i get very good about that Tell light being broken. If I get very good at a process and I can scale the volume, the only way to sustain volume is you have the labor. Well, I can achieve that offshore. Then I can grow a pretty successful firm. And I think that's that's how it all this came about. And it's just been stumbling through stuff that I figured it out. But being Colombian and, and you know I, what I did was very simple. I just put a I just put a it wasn't an ad. It was a Facebook post. Hey guys, anybody wants to help me translate this document? And you know, there's a few people answer. And I said, and at the time I didn't know what I was doing. So I said, like, okay, how about I pay you 10 bucks for that? And I'll pay you 20 bucks for that. And then after a while, I was like, why don't you just why don't I just give you a a 
a set rate, and then I can send work to you. And they like that. They like that a lot more, right? And that's how it all started. Wow. I got a rapid fire. I got a bunch of questions. Hopefully these can be like, yes. you know, so you, you've built out a team internationally. Lessons yes. learned. What countries do you have you liked and what countries have been harder to work with? Um, for me, I mean, Colombia has been, has been it, right? And I think Colombia is, is, is great. Um, Colombia is going through a tough, tough time right as we speak, and that's been a little difficult. But in terms of infrastructure and stability, I, I think it's one of the best places to go. Uh, I have people in Argentina. I have people in uh, Mexico. I have people in Salvador, and I had people also in India. I still have people in India, and I have some people in the Philippines. Um, and really, culturally, it's really interesting. Uh, a lot of the India and Fili Philippines, those guys are really, at least my experience, have been very, very heavy in policy and procedures, and they will follow it to a T. And if you follow, if your procedure is it's incorrect, they will follow it incorrectly to a T. They, they will not deviate. They're very respectful. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. Hector. No, sir. Hector. That's just the way it is. With, with, with what I found in some of the Latin American countries is that there is a little bit of more creativity. They don't tend to follow it quite so much. And then they, they, they'll talk back a little bit more saying like, I don't think that's going to work. Right. But but yet sometimes you can get out and create, have a little bit more of a creative thing. Right. So you got a little bit more uh, people who will get out of the box. And so. Um, that does that lessons learn uh it all this time number one i we use it i did i we talk about virtual assistance uh and i actually think that's that term should be stricken um i agree virtual you're you're virtually there it almost means like you're not really there which is not true they are there and an assistant is the person who's assisting you drive the bus when in fact they can drive for you, they're not really assisting, they're driving. I mean, they are, so I, I think it's a bad, bad term and it's a mindset shift that, that, that it took me a while and I guess and I still use it, but it, 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 I, I, as a policy, I eradicated it on the firm for the, except, uh, you know, very close people who work for me for a very long time. That's the, that's the, that they know who they are, but it is. And so, and the reason why is because you gotta treat them like a, just, just an employee. It's, it's an employee, period. They, they, they have lives, goals, aspirations. They, they like to get perks. They love when we send them pizza. I mean, it's just normal normal stuff that, that we would do. The first thing is get that out of your head. They, they want to they feel that they have a career. They want to feel that they're growing with your team. Um, the minute that you, you do that, because I, I see a lot of people, I see a ton of posts, and you know, I'm sure you guys follow, of other lawyers saying, what will I have my BA do? But what will I have them do, right? Like, just check my email. Like, if there is a there's a pervasive lack of just knowing, you can have them do a lot of things for you. I mean, for me, right? Uh, I mean, I have video editors, photographers, copywriters. I have economists. I have analysts. I have coders. I have software developers. I have paralegals, legal assistants. Um, just just people who just massively can do the only thing that you need to separate is what do you physically need somebody for or what you need a license for clearly lawyers need to do legal work the, the law work piece going to court and reviewing the, the paperwork you need a lawyer 
And typically that lawyer will be in the States, right? Not always, I've seen, I've seen firms who actually have a US licensed attorney working in Mexico, right? But you have that. Uh, and the other thing is like the physical paper that you file, and in some practices you can file online, then you no longer need that even, right? So, so that's, that's, that's the lessons I think, it's just to shortcut that. Have you layered different levels of labor with checks and balances is the ultimate check in the US or have you gotten to the point where you have a checks and balance where an overseas team is overseeing your overseas team? We are, uh, we're kind of transitioning to that. Uh, and so we're kind of in the middle of the transition and I have both. I have, I have, uh, we have what is called a compliance team. So I got auditors and compliance teams that check before the actual work product goes out, that to make sure that nothing was skipped, that, you know, sometimes people are like, you know, my, my practice is a lot of form feelings. So it's like, oh, half the form is blank. Like, well, somebody's got to check that at the end before we file that, right? So so there is a compliance team that does it, and that compliance team is now mixed, right? It's mixed, but but they are localized uh, here, you know, and it's, and it's led by the most experienced people on the team to, 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 to embed that. Uh, I like to try all the way out, but again, because at least USCIS and the work we do is still a, a paper-based thing uh, for the most part. I still need a, um, a US team, but it, but it's but it's mixed. But I do to answer question: Has it been layered? We do have layers. We have you know we got what we call leads and supervisors and managers, and then we have directors, right? There's a there's a there's a levels of experience and, and and pay and rank, right? That people have to, to to get to that level yeah jay hector thanks so much for being with us you know this is a really uh, a fascinating way to sort of scale your firm but i want to take a step back and talk a little bit about your work in immigration because you know four and a half years ago there was sort of a, a of oh there's a new administration and that's going to impact how we handle immigration cases and then this most recent administration made some it made some anticipatory changes to that type of thing how is it that you are able to sort of roll with the punches in an immigration practice when really so much depends on who's sitting in the white house uh, every 4 years um, how does that sort of impact your ability to grow as a firm it's beautiful, man. It just exploded. It's just so awesome. I can't even tell you. I mean, here's, here's, here's what it really is. There is no downside to this, right? Like, there will always be immigration in the United States, and it's going to be either... So so we have a administration that is really, you know, seen as a very anti-immigrant, and, and in fact, very anti-immigrant, right? So no, let's close the borders, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that made marketing really easy. Right, you just make marketing like people were like, "Oh my gosh, I better lawyer up because this is coming in." So it made marketing easier, and in that sense, it was easier to market. But then it also made the cases more complex, right? Because that is the, the, that's the other side, right? Now getting the case through is going to be harder. So marketing easier, case complex. So then we have to adjust or or the way we approach cases or cost, how we're going to fight these cases. So having that pulls on the numbers is very important. And now then we have a more, per, let's call it permissive um, administration. Then what happens is marketing is maybe not as easy, right? But then the cases are going to get a little easier. So there is always a balance. And I don't think, I think we get into immigration to see all the changes. You know, the, the obstacle is the way, right? And I think it's just, we just got to go through that and say that, you know, um, we got we got to 
we just got to go through it. It's, it's just the way I think everybody should look at it, right? Okay, so now here's a question I want to talk about offshoring your, your assistants. You know, in, in my firm, we've got five now. We're adding two more. Uh, so we're not nearly as big as you. We call them teammates because they are part of the team. They're not virtual. They are just part of our team like anybody else. As a lawyer who wants to grow their practice or grow their firm, what do you think the um, best teammate to bring on to handle uh should be so like if you haven't had anybody who is outside of your office and you're thinking about adding what is called a va or a teammate or however you want to do it what's the first thing a lawyer should look to bring in uh to allow them to really get uh the best kind of growth gosh it's a rough question right because there is different levels right like we got people on finance and we got people on you know like payables and going over or that making sure that accounts are paid. I got people like, you know what I mean? People going over uh, the money piece, making sure you can report that. So that's important, right? Uh, truthfully, if I was a solo and I was just starting, I think the very first thing you need to do is you need to, you need to, you need to work on your funds. How do you get the information into the company? I, I think it's probably the biggest impact first, right? Uh, I know there is a lot of ways to go to, to different, uh, outlets that, that are kind of outright outsourcing and things like that, but I kind of like it do it myself because then I have control. I can train them with my policies and procedures. Now, when you're be- we're betting about 400 phone calls a day, right, between existing clients and prospective new clients. So, uh, what I have is a call center at this point. It's not it's not a call center in the sense of you go somewhere in Colombia and you find Kiroga office call center. It isn't everybody's home. We're just working, and it's actually a lot more cost efficient that way than actually having a location. But I think if you don't need it, you're not handling that kind of volume, then you can start with one uh, reception. And this is exactly how I did it. I got, I got, hey, why don't you just help us with the phone a little bit? And then figure out IP telephony, right? The, 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 the piece of technology that kind of enable you to do that. And then that'll help you uh, start going. And then from there, it wasn't too hard to go into, ooh, a legal assistant would be good. So the assistant would be maybe not the person who answers the phone, but maybe the person who's going to be, hey, let's check your address and just a little bit more of an intake that is longer than just it. Then you get into like the paralegal work, which is the people who are more strategizing, hey, we need a declaration here, we need this. So yeah, you, 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 you go that way. That's how... I did it, and I don't know if it's the right way, but it's certainly the way it worked for us. No, I love it, and something Jay and I talk a lot about, which is delivering the best quality service. Part of that is time on task, right? So that if you're looking at domestic numbers versus the allowing somebody to have it, now you have to have the training in place and the checks and balances in place, but it would allow for a lot more touches per client, per case, a lot many more minutes on that you before you would, so I, I love it. I have my, my sort of sort of final questions for you are, are twofold. What mistakes did you make early on that somebody who's starting this would, would you think should try to avoid? I do. I mentioned one is like really seeing it for a long time as, as they are like a parallel universe that you just kind of get the stuff that are tedious or like you can't do or they seem to be. And really not recognizing they are part of a of a team. So that's they, they are no different than somebody. They're not assistants. They're team members, as Jay mentioned. That is that. So there's one thing, and I think the second thing is really you talk about that, and it's called check and balances. And, and we did have a lot of people. How do you know people are working? But I think COVID kind of helped a little bit on this because we're experiencing here, right? How do you know 
that the person is actually spending time, they say, on a translation, for example, or and really ensuring that you have some systems to really just be able to make sure that the work is actually being, because they will tell you stories, right? They will say to you, you know, I work four hours on this, and if you don't have a way or a system to check. And so one of the ways is just averaging, right? Just the lower averages, you know, we, but we, we're bigger enough to know, interesting, this position should be producing X amount, and you are like 10% of that consistently, we know there is a problem, right? So, so until you start getting some data. So my mistake, to be clear, was I didn't gather data until a little bit too late into the process. I should have started that earlier, so I knew that that was happening. Now we have a pretty good system, but we can sniff things out. And even then, we still see things that are like, hmm, this isn't it. So um, because the cost is going up, right? It used to be that, you know, you, you, you but the cost, because we're talking about this because lawyers are doing it. So everybody's going, let's go to Latin America, go to Colombia. So the cost is going up to the point that it that you really do have to watch it. It's not... It's not a free-for-all. Now you got this very inexpensive thing. It's less expensive, but not quite that inexpensive. You know, one of the, you bring a, yeah, you, you bring up a good point. And, you know, from all the forums that we read online, from the conferences that we're going to, I, I feel like there are so many lawyers out there who want this magic wand of, I'm going to be able to get a high-quality paralegal that can be bilingual and do everything for $5 a day. And, uh, and I won't have to supervise. I won't have to set up systems. And that, I mean, that's just a figment of imagination, right? I mean, everybody wants free help. Uh, I mean, there was, there were, you know, hundreds of thousands of people enslaved for generations because that's the way, the way certain people wanted to act. You're not going to get it. And you have to treat your, your offshore talent with the, with respect and pay them a commensurate way with the salary with the work that they're doing i mean somebody who's just starting out might make less than somebody who's been with you for a number of years but there has to be room for them to grow earn more money get more skills right this isn't something where you can just you're not just plugging in people like uh like like uh like an assembly line here right so right and, and i have people offshore that make more people make more money over there than they that some of the employees here right because they've been with me because they know the thing they're hassling for me they know again they're people they want to there is there is there is and they have ambition they want to do better and i have some people working over there who have mates they have i mean they have a fantastic life working for my firm and i love it because they're bringing in the value so this idea that yes you're going to cut costs but you but you also have to worry about the, the system, the checking, and when you consider it all into account, um, you know you still come ahead, but but you gotta you gotta keep an eye on it, and you gotta make sure that those people really like working with you, and they, they're the leader so I, for sure. You know, we've done a, I've done a lot with India, some of the Philippines, but Latin America, and I agree with your assessment that there's a level of creativity that we see uh, from the countries you mentioned that that's that's awesome. And people start at whatever they start at. Let's say it's somewhere between five and $10 an hour. We'll take somebody at 650 an hour that they're starting at hypothetically. What I don't know, and I'm curious, cause you've been at this for a while. What does that person end up, like in order to retain somebody? In the US, you see a cost of living adjustment. Are there certain numbers that when you get to them, based on the current environment, that you're able to retain people beyond 
the newbies who are jumping into the market, who are, who are hiring people fresh, is there sort of a starting salary? And are you finding, are there certain salaries that take them off the market generally that gives you some longevity of employment, at least from the financial point of view? Um, I think it depends on the position, right? You do have to kind of look right about, hey, what is what is this job paying locally, right? And what, you know, will a person have? I want to pay my people good uh, to well, right? I don't want to be necessarily exceptional, but I also don't want to underpay them because then they're going to just find a better position somewhere else, right? So I want to I wanna do. And so the thing is like, you know, because again, we got programmers, we got people who are paralegals, but they're actually lawyers in Colombia, but they're paralegals to us because they don't have a law license, but they, and they, they set up different ranges, and that's something that depending on the country you want to, to set up. Now, I want to tell you, here's my nugget, right? And, and one huge nugget here is that, number one, you're talking about an hourly. Don't, don't talk in terms of hourly. They don't understand that concept. They talk in terms of monthly salaries because that's how those, the, those cultures work, right? And that they hourly think is a very U.S. thing, so if you got a salary that is anywhere from like you know five hundred dollars to say fifteen hundred dollars or even sixteen hundred dollars, depending on the country, that may be very good, right? Depending on what level of skill they they go to college or not, and they can come in. And sometimes you just need somebody who can help you through an Excel sheet, and you don't need a college graduate to do that, right? And that's the thing. So there is that band, but the nugget is really they're looking for stability. They're looking for stability. They're looking for. I know that whatever you say, you're good for it. So your word here is huge. So they, they don't believe in contracts. They don't believe, they might see something in writing, but they know they can't sue you. They don't have any protection. They don't really have OSHA or, or Department of Home. You know, they don't, they don't, right? If you, if you, so your word here is more important than ever, right? And uh, to say, I want to pay you in this day of the month and you are good for your word, you pay them. Whether they did the work, whether there is dispute, I look, the money is what it is because I told you. And if you show them that they can work with them, because those countries are so up and down, up and down, especially with COVID, they are desperately looking for the stability to be able to do that. And so if, you, if we can provide that, somebody will take a $500, $600 wage a month, uh, which is about $325 an hour, right? Uh, more than they might take a 600 and 800 if they don't know that they won't be here for 60 days, right? So. I, I agreed. And we, we've seen that. What do you see long-term attrition like? Do you, are you able, if you do what you're saying, where you continue, you get, you know, you're, you're stable, you show, you know, increase, you show a career. Do you see much breakage or do people stay with you generally? Um. That's, that's a good question. Uh, I, I have a very large team that had to stay with me now for four, they're going to four or five years. So I think that, that that's good. Now we had had to let a lot of people go for the problems I mentioned, and so it's kind of hard to mention. Now people who had gone on and, and have other opportunities and left, left us, uh, yeah, I, I actually did have a few, uh, like three or four people not in, in the recent future I can think of who were, uh, one was, uh, uh, she was a stewardess, right? She was in that. And so because of COVID, she hired, she was fantastic. And then when it all reopened, she was like, gotta go. 
and I missed that. I was like, oh gosh, right? Um, so we gotta be careful that there is that. You might be a temporary person, but I, I think if you if you got the stability and you are, and then there are increases, right? I mean, the, these people are not making the same amount of money they did when they began. Usually every 90 days we have a quarterly review. Every year we try to have a significant increase. It's not, it's not you know, 10 cents an hour. It's, it, it's a significant increase that, that, that makes the person feel value because the one thing is they talk, right? They talk and they're going to say, hey, these people, you know what, they're good for the money. That's the very first question they ask their team members when they join the team. It's like, hey, this is all great. Everything is great, but uh, do they pay? Do they really pay, right? They are really worried about that. And so we got to make sure that that we always do it on time, that there is no no funny excuses, right? And, and the thing is that the team itself kind of give that. And then the second thing, that there is a room to grow when they see, yeah, there's been raises. Yeah, we've been this. We made our metrics. This is how it works. It, it, works, it, works, it works well. But it's the same thing here, no? I mean... You you wouldn't play on your payroll. That would be terrible. Um, and if people don't see an advancement, then what am I doing here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jay, you get the last word. So, I, you know, it, it's really interesting, uh, everything that you've been able to do here. Uh, and as you see... Uh, your future growing, uh, do you ever see a time where you won't be relying on team members all across the globe uh, with the advancement of technology? Do you ever think that that's going to be something that you get away from? Or is it is it part and parcel of every good, successful, growing law firm in this day and age? I got a big question mark on that one. Uh Here's the thing, the cost is going higher and higher to the point where I'm like, what is going to be the breaking point to actually, because it's a lot easier if I have them right here and I can just walk out and say, don't print that document. The question is, now that there is a huge demand for the services and people are going into, I see the prices going up significantly, but there is going to be a point where I want to say, hmm. I'm just going to have this person work out of Spokane, Washington, instead of out of Cali, right? Like, there is going to be a point. Now, when will that point hit? I don't know, but it'll take a while. I have I have a question about that. Now that you bring that up, we talked we just talked a little while ago about how, how this administration is more uh, accepting of immigrants. Do you see a time when these men and women that are in Colombia, in Mexico, in India, that type of thing, have the opportunity to come to the United States and now have a resume, having worked for one or two other law firms, and make themselves really valuable by not only having the experience but being able to be now local? Do you think that that's going to be something that these people that are, are, are working uh, for American companies in their country are going to see the opportunities to immigrate uh, and, and, and maybe give us more talent here. Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, th- I think, you know, even, even, even without the immigration, it's just the fact to say, hey, I work for this law firm and, and that you can verify uh, employment is huge to them, even from just the bilingual piece, just, just the fact that it really is like a stamp of, no, I really do speak English, right? Like that to yeah. them... That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. This is really just fantastic. And and I think, you know, our, our whole audience is really focused on how they can grow their firm. And over the last year, we've seen tremendous, tremendous growth in the area of, of overseas talent that you can really sort of explode the growth of your firm by tapping into people that are outside the walls of the United States. And I want to thank you for spending some time uh, with us today, Hector. It's uh, been really illuminating. Uh, 
Uh, so what we're going to do now, folks, is we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to wrap up with more Maximum Growth Live. Hey, it's Becca here. I'm sure you've heard Jim and Tyson mention the Guild on the podcast and in the Facebook group. The Guild is this perfect mix of a community, group coaching, and a mastermind. Guild members get so many benefits, including weekly live events and discounts to all Maximum Lawyer events. Head over to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash the guild to check out all the benefits and watch a few testimonials from current members. So head to MaximumLawyer.com and click on the guild page to join us. Now, let's get back to the episode. Wow, Seth. I mean, just some stuff there. You know, we go back to our interview with Brett Trembley talking about how India and the Philippines have one mindset. Latin America has a lot more nuance. And I've learned that myself over the last couple of weeks, uh, talking to some of my intake people that have now been fully trained from Latin America who are able to sort of bob and weave with some complicated intakes that, uh, you know, maybe somebody else who was following a script, asking question after question uh, and not really thinking about the answers would have been able to do what were your takeaways you know look it reinforced certain ideas uh which is where to find different types of talent for different types of skills um the thing that i'm focused on is i am seeing great early success and just like we talk about jay incubating ideas now i i don't want to be the person who says hey this is the panacea because it's a long game and right now the grass is always greener or the devil you know versus the devil you don't know Right now, you know, over recent memory, there have been some issues with personalities clashing in the workplace. We lost some of that during COVID, but we also have had a number of people where I, I would love to be in a position where what I'm offering is a home run and not a starter job. And one of the things about my intake that we've talked about over time is that I've generally been able to get bright, innovative people who are sort of on a track between college and law school. And that's been awesome. Um, but it has a it takes a toll because we're always recruiting um, and that you're always, you know, having that turnover. And on top of the different idiosyncrasies in a particularly hot job market. So Hector mentioned we don't know how long that curve will be there. But if 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 we're able to keep and retain talent for a longer period of time, will that be a competitive advantage? There are certainly a lot of obstacles as far as culture, as far as communications etc but i'm cautiously optimistic my my bet and the thing that i have struggled with is it, particularly in my market is keeping a retained talent over time in administrative roles can be very challenging um, you know I, we had uh, andy uh, andrew uh from uh jacoby myers andrew finkelstein and you know he's he's in his 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 specialty is newburgh new york He's the king of Newburgh, New York. You have, you know, Keith Givens we've had on, right? Uh, who's down in Dothan, Alabama. These are places where you can keep and retain talent. DC, it's a transient town to begin with. There are so many opportunities. It's so hard to keep and retain great talent at reasonable prices. Even transportation, as you know, just getting into and out of work. I lose people when somebody moves, gets married, moves to the other side of the city, crazy stuff like that. So cautiously optimistic that we're onto something here, Jay. You know, it's interesting, um, and, I, and, I, and I'll bring this up. You know my buddy Tim, who lives out in L.A., uh, you know, grew up in the Bronx, city boy, and uh, I can remember going to visit him now like 12, 11, 12 years ago when he first moved out there, and one of the things he remarked about was the help at fast food joints in L.A. was phenomenal. 
he was like, you know, because what they're getting is uh, a systemized uh, talent who can handle a register. They were getting these people from Iowa and Kansas who were moving to L.A. to be a star. So they were they were OK with taking a gig at McDonald's for the first six months thinking I'm going to be a movie star soon. So this is just the stepping stone. So he was like, they know what they're doing. They are attentive. They're responsive. He's like, they just have a ton of turnover in those jobs. So you never expect the people to stay. And that's part of what we were seeing is that we would get people in that DC to New York, you know, DC to New York corridor um, who would come for a year and then bounce to, uh, you know, first year of law school, grad school, something else. But imagine if you could keep your intake people for instead of 18 months, three years. Uh, I mean, just the, the ability to then focus on other things is going to be phenomenal. So I'm really excited about this. You know, I've, I, I thought I was going to add two uh, overseas team members uh, at the end of last year. We are up to five. We have our six starting uh, on third uh, today, actually started this morning, actually um, with uh, with training. And we're going to be a seven day a week law firm uh, with somebody answering the phones live seven days a week uh, this and this week. Crazy. I don't think might be right. I'm not sure how much we're going to be reducing the U.S. force. So much of what's here is reinforcing things like yeah. answering service. It's been three, four, five thousand a month on overflow. Hey, if I can get this team doing this and answering with my own people, that much better. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, and I've got two main paralegals. We're hiring each of them uh, an assistant, an overseas assistant, um, not necessarily to, uh, to to because they need it desperately. But then we're thinking, well, that person can be slowly trained as an assistant. So then as we continue to grow, we've got opportunity there. And this is great because well, it's, well, it's... And the U.S. person become a senior uh, yeah. consigliere talking to the clients more, keeping that... that, that uh, you know, Nordstrom's customer service that exactly. we all aspire to, that's so freaking tough when it's so hard to tell. So keeping the people we have happy growing domestically, but using people so that we can make sure that we support them as best we can, which is so difficult domestically. So anyway. All right. Jay, great so, show. Great um, show. Great show. I know you got to go. So what we're going to do is we're going to end it here, folks. Thanks so much for being with us. Of course, always every Thursday here live. Maximum growth live for us. Of course, you can always follow Seth at Blue Shark Digital as well as his SEO Insider, which is a great show. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can tap into my group, Systemizing Your Law Firm for Growth here on Facebook. But literally, folks, great stuff that we've done so far. But today's show was phenomenal. So I want to thank you for being with us. Remember to tune in every Thursday, and we'll see you here next week for another edition of Maximum Growth Live. Thank you for listening to Maximum Growth Live. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast for the latest episodes and tune in live on Facebook every Thursday for our live show. For more information, visit Maximum Growth Live on Facebook or MaximumLawyer.com and be sure to share us with your friends.